For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Come On You Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham. Because win or lose, we'll discuss the news. It's two up top this evening and that means leading the line from the front around the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we spoke a week ago? Good, thanks, Dan. A little bit more um, positive and optimistic this week. Um, so yeah, looking forward to getting into it and as you say, feeling a little bit better after the last couple of games. Glad to hear. James has been ruled out with suspension, so he won't be joining us this week, but we're joined by the returning Mike. So Mike, it's been a while, probably more my fault than yours, but how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, yeah, all good. Um, not quite at the dizzy heights of uh, sitting on top of the Premier League, but uh, I'm still here, so yeah, it's good. Yes, Mike, it's a huge shame that we're not scaling the top of the Premier League mountain. However, it's a huge pleasure that you're joining me and Carl this evening. Let's get the social media bits out of the way first so we can dissect last week and more in full. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Common Spurs app where the podcast is available each and every Tuesday morning. You can, of course, follow us across social media. We're on Twitter at CYS underscore COM and we're on all the major audio platforms that's Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. If we're not on one, let us know and we'll get it on there for you. And if you listen on Apple, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating. Right, let's get down to business. And that business sees us with a mixed bag of a week. And before we get to all things West Brom, we need to talk about all things Chelsea. And although there's a rather gallant finish, which was then in vain, that first 45 minutes, Cole, was something of a concern to all us Spurs folk. It was, wasn't it? Um, you know, a massive letdown because you know, it was a massive game. Um, <clears throat> you know, you know, going into it, it's not only have we got the local rivalry and everything like that. Um, and Chelsea are probably a team that I suppose, right? You know, over the last few years, we've probably had just as much hate for as we have Arsenal. Um, so we were hoping that we could go into this one and kind of get back on track and kind of set some sort of marker and possibly get some momentum going again. We knew it would be tough, you know, without, without Kane was always going to be tough. Um, but I don't think any of us kind of envisaged the sort of first half performance that was put in. Um, and as you say, Dan, the performance was very, very worrying indeed. Um, and although it slightly improved in the second half, again, I think, you know, the, the guys were right on TV when they said, you know, actually players suddenly just starting to run around a bit and show a little bit more energy still doesn't make up for the kind of drastic lack of quality there was on the pitch. And there were some serious flaws and serious worries that I think, you know, as much as we possibly you know don't like the term but it kind of did make us look like the Harry Kane team didn't it well that brings me on to my next question for Mike so a few hours ago on Monday I asked for the usual questions comments insights from everyone and regular contributor Jonathan Williams was kind enough to quip in with the Harry Kane team and how that's kind of reared its head again we'll focus on the comeback later in the show but if you look at the 225 minutes that Tottenham suffered before his return is that a valid criticism yeah it is, but it's just how Jose bases his team up, isn't it? It isn't. It isn't a fluid system. Otherwise, we'd have seen Vinny dropping deep and playing playing the balls that we've sort of seen from Kane. It's not like the Jurgen Klopp system where everyone in that forward line can play, and whether it's Jota comes in or Minamino, although he's now out on loan, they've got players that can come in and fill gaps. Whereas we we're a very sort of specific targeted team that is based around the brilliance of two world-class players and any criticism that's formed off, off that is, is a little bit bizarre, I think. So, Mike, I'll stay with you because it was a game where Vinicius was given a starting role and when you think about it, that's the role that he is earmarked for. He's had those kind of run-outs and cameos in cup competitions, Europe, the odd fleeting Premier League minute, but this was a bona fide start. So, when you look at the two flashpoints that he was involved in, I'll tell you the seventh minute when... He kind of had control of the ball and should have played through Sun. And then the 87th minute, where he's in a guilt-edged opportunity in terms of a header, and it kind of slices off his head and goes wide. On the basis of that small sample, do you think there's a Premier League forward within our ranks? Or do you think he'll be going back to Benfica in another failed loan move? Yeah, there's there's a Premier League forward in our ranks. But I, I don't I don't think he's, he's at Tottenham next year. Um, I, just, I just can't see it. I think, could, would he cut it at another, another club? 
possibly. Do I think he's what are we now in a top six, top four? Do I think he's quality, a good enough quality for that? Probably not. Okay, talking of loan moves then, Carl, because when we were chatting last Monday, we were going to record, and the transfer window was just about slamming shut after it being prized open and being really just slow in terms of business of all of January. So there was a bit of business at Tottenham. One of those, the Gedson Fernandez loan of terror, has finally come to an end. Do you think in about <laughs> five or ten years' time, Spurs fans or even football fans collectively will just think, what on earth has happened there? Uh, no, I think probably in five or ten years we'll probably be sitting there going, who? Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, you know, it'll be one of those pictures on, on Twitter where people, you know, do you remember this guy? Uh, what was his name? Um, uh, you know, a, a dreadful acquisition. Um, again, one of those signings that you question what the scouting department are doing, um, you know, what what the point of the loan, loan move was. Um, and yeah, for me, you know, he, 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 you know, he's not, he's never going to be missed. I don't think we'll see a day where we look back and maybe Rue letting him go. Um, I think he's probably going to be lucky that, you know, he's going to always make a living out of being a professional footballer, but I don't think he's ever going to cut it uh, at the the top level. Um, and if I'm honest, I think, you know, if, if we go back, sorry, just to go back slightly to the Vinicius, um, situation I think you know I've made it clear what I think of him and you know my concerns were he may be someone who's okay if you want to play a lower you know like a Wickham or someone like that or in the Europa League against some of these teams but my concern was he wasn't going to be someone that could come in and step in and do a job against if you like top six or or top quality sides and and that game against Chelsea has just kind of cemented my view that again I think you know we've signed a player that you know isn't really going to add or do the job that we need him to do long term but yeah on, on Gedson I, I was you know I, I'd have paid for that flight myself <laughs> to be honest Dan yeah I think we all would have chipped in on that one uh, go fund me whatever it is but Mike in terms of Another lone move that's gone out of the club, Paolo Gazzaniga. So he's joined Elche until the end of the season. Do you think that's just a vehicle for him to get minutes because he's obviously he's been kicking his heels for the first half of the season? Or do you think this is testing the water for a permanent exit in the summer? Yeah, um, it's probably you know, the start of the end for, for Paolo Gazzaniga at Spurs. Um, and it's probably just an easy way for him to, to get some minutes before looking for a, full, a full-time move away from the club, which is a shame. I'd, I'd absolutely hate it to sort of be the the um, the situation that the, the the scummy side of North London have found themselves in, having to find Matt Ryan in goal because they've let Martinez go to Villa. So if he does get a permanent move away, I'd be happy to see it out of the Premier League. So if he does become a goalkeeping superstar, we're, we're not shot ourselves in the foot. Yeah, the last thing you want is him having a barnstormy season next season in the Premier League for, I don't know, Burnley or something. Do you know what I mean? Off the top of my head. But yeah, I mean... It's always an easier move than to go abroad because they kind of go with your good grace. But I think with Joe Hart coming in when he did, he's always kind of been that number three. And I think this is just kind of like, OK, well, go out and get your minutes. If you impress Elche, they might want you in the summer. And if he does move on, then I don't think there'll be too many tears within the Tottenham fraternity. But, Mike, I'll stay with you because in terms of wholesale business in January, apart from those loan deals that we just mentioned, there's no substantial ins or outs. Does that surprise you? Because I know Deli Ali will be the most obvious sort of debate in this topic but do you think the fact that Tottenham are in four competitions at the time of recording is the kind of reason why Mourinho still feels he needs a hefty squad for that second half of the season? Yeah um, and you know touch wood we haven't been stricken with too many bad injuries um, so you know the fact that we've got a, quite a, a hefty squad and I said it from the beginning of the season the team with the best squad and the best rotation this year is going gonna, is gonna to win the lot and it, you know we saw pretty early on Liverpool have struggled with their um, their centre halves. Man City have been firing without centre forward, but their, their squads of, of, of a, a different calibre. So yeah, especially this season where the, where the games are going to come thick and fast because of the delay to the start of the season and squeezing in Carabao Cup games and and Europa League games left, right, and Charlie. I think the team with the biggest squads um, will will sort of rise to the top. And Carl, in terms of our squad, what have you made of Musa Sissoko as of late? He's kind of been in and out, and I think it's fair to say he was a passenger against Chelsea for most of the game. So after them being dropped for Sunday, do you think that's just down to the need to have a go and the bad run of results needing to change? Or do you think there's more to the omission of the French international? Well, I think 
Yeah, you know, I think Sissoko has really divided opinion in Spurs, isn't he? You know, the first season he came, he was a massive bust, wasn't he? You know, and, and there were a lot of us, and you know, I was one of them that would have been happy to have seen him gone straight away that the next summer. Um, but then the second season, he really kind of hit the ground running and started to really improve. And at one point, you're starting to think he was becoming one of the first names on the team sheet, to be honest. Um, this season, again, though, it, it really looks like he's kind of regressing in his game, doesn't he? Uh, and he actually becomes a player that you kind of think inhibits the team rather than gives them something. And there were examples highlighted, weren't they, after the game where, you know, the ball's being played into him. He's not making the right movement uh, when it comes to him. He, he, he doesn't want to turn, just wants to go backwards. So I think probably what we saw on, on the weekend was there'll be certain games where you don't need to play someone like Musa Sissoko because, he, yes, he's going to run and he's a tank and he'll give you something in certain areas. But in that game at the weekend, we didn't need him because he was just going to stifle us. And, you know, we were going at a team that we should rightfully be going at and attacking um, and looking to be on the front foot. So if you had him in the centre in the midfield, that just wasn't going to happen. So it's not a surprise to see him miss out. And I don't have a problem with him missing out in games like that. I think what we might see is a game that's coming up soon against the likes of, say, someone like Man City away from home, where I think Jose is obviously just going to want workers in that team who are prepared to, you know, sweat, just give it, you know, maybe give it simple when they get it, but do their job, which is just defending. Then Musa maybe has a role, but I think he is, you know, very much a squad player who seems to be regressing at the moment and going backwards. But he still could have a job to do, given the way Jose wants to play in certain games. So, Mike, with that in mind, in terms of regression, obviously he's not getting any younger. He's over the wrong side of 30. Obviously, he can still play football over 30. It's not an ultimate sacrifice if you're, you know, oh, no, he can't play. He's dead. His legs are gone and all that. But do you think that with this regression and the fact that he's kind of being in and out, Tottenham's, I don't know, lack of ruthlessness at times would allow players to stay on longer. But is he probably one of the names that should be for the chop if we want an overhaul to get things going again in the summer? Um, potentially, yeah. Like Kyle said, he does divide does divide the fan base on, the, on their opinion of him. But like you say, I think it depends on what, what sort of money we'd be looking at for him and the, the emergence of Oliver Skip. If Oliver Skip continues to go out, he's going at Norwich and from what I can see, he's putting in stellar performances week in, week out. Does he then come back in the summer and sort of worm his way ahead of ahead of him in 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 the in the in the selection process, you know? So would he then be happy being what thirty two um, as a bit part player and in a team that probably probably won't do much, you know? Or or is he sort of sitting here going right? I'm thirty two, thirty three. This is now my last sort of chance to go and win something and end up at PSG on. 150 grand a week sitting on their bench and might, might win might win something. It's a very good point. So in terms of Skip Cole, do you think he pushes up the queue next season? And that is probably the earmark replacement because obviously the other option is to go out and spend, oh, I don't know, where do you start, 40 million for a Sissoko-like replacement who's in their mid-20s. But have we already got the answer waiting at Carrow Road to come back? I think so. And I think, you know, it's great to have seen that he got that opportunity because, you know, I've said this in the past and I'll always say it. I think, you know, obviously one of Poch's failings for me was keeping players like Oliver Skip around just in and around the squad training um, and barely getting, you know, some, some limited minutes here and there, because I don't think that was actually helping the development of the player. Um We've now seen he's gone on loan to Norwich, where he's bossing the championship at the moment. And he's man, you know, he's man of their match most weeks. He's putting in some stellar performances. And it could be that this one season on loan really brings his game on and develops him. And we are sitting there thinking, if I'm honest now, if you said to me in the summer, sell Musa Sissoko and possibly still get back a reasonable chunk of money, promote Oliver Skip and actually start giving him some game time, then... That would be my preference. I think, you know, if the guy's learning his trade there, he's he's getting more experience. Um, and I think it could be the right time this summer to bring him back, move on a player like Musa Sissoko, and actually then give Skip his chance and say, right, you know, you will get some games. 
especially when you consider as well that you know Harry Winks is another player that we could discuss and say is he is he progressing or is he regressing and he's another player that I think is very much under threat right now from the sort of form and the development that Oliver Skip's showing so I think there are two players there that you're kind of thinking Skip could come in next season and really kind of push those guys further down the pecking order and push himself up. So Mike in terms of our league status at the moment I asked James last week, had the two defeats all but killed off our hopes of winning the league title? He said yes. Obviously, we won at the weekend, but has the defeat to Chelsea and the point swing that comes with that also hampered our hopes of a top four finish also? Um, it's a tricky one, really, because, it, again, this season is going to be so up and down. I think, what have we seen? Eight different clubs sit at the top of the Premier League so far this season. I think it's, it's so topsy-turvy. I think you'd be quite silly to, to say we won't finish top four. But um, it was it 2015-16 when we finished third after after allegedly bottling it and allowing Leicester to win it. Um, we, were, we were on the same points after 21 games as we were that season. So, there's you know, we, we've got a, a favourable second half of the season, I would say. We played a lot of the big clubs at home. Uh, sorry, we played a lot of the big clubs away, so we've got to play them again at home. And if we do string some wins together... Who knows where we could end up? I mean, I'm not saying we're going to finish top of the league by by a long way, but top four for me definitely isn't off the cards. No. Yeah, you'd have to agree with that. I think there's just there is still a decent chunk of football to be played, which gives you hope. You know, if Spurs click, which they are capable of doing, as we've seen earlier in the season, then again that gives you hope. It's just the kind of three defeats is enough to really sort of make you question whether Tottenham are going forwards or backwards. And It's the, it's the Kane situation, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, of course. On that question, because I think we've seen now, it all relies on Harry Kane, basically, because... You know, when you sit there saying, look at our fixtures, we've got some favourable fixtures. We've seen when that guy isn't in the team, we got completely and utterly embarrassed by Brighton, who are sitting down the bottom of the table. So if, if, if Harry Kane is out, in my opinion, there are no easy fixtures for the club. Sure. Because without him and the creativity and what he brings, we can see that we clearly don't have the quality and we will struggle against even sides that are sitting down the bottom of the table. Um, if Harry Kane stays fit, who knows what we can do? Um, top four is still on. But if suddenly Harry Kane next week was to pick up another injury and you was told he was out for two months, I think you sit there and go, well, there probably even goes top four aspirations um, because we haven't got someone who can step in and when he goes, the whole team seems to fall apart. Mike, were you going to add something else there? Yeah, similar to what Carl said, um, it, it does hinge heavily on, on Harry Kane. But also as well, it, it seemed like the way we set up recently, or I, I know we're going to get on to West Brom, but it was it, was, it seemed like we're, we're gearing ourselves to play a number 10 again, which we haven't really been doing. We've seen Harry drop deep into that position and letting the wide men push on. Lucas Moura played really well against West Brom in that position. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a resurgence from Deli Ali. I mean, he, he didn't go on loan for a reason. Um, uh, could he potentially patch things up with Jose? And, and that then becomes, especially especially with the Hoybier and Ndombele double pivot in front of a back four, uh, we've only seen that a handful of times this season. So that, that sort of sets us up quite nicely to play a, a three-man sort of attack in midfield behind Harry Kane so it, it, it all depends on on the fitness of Kane and, and whether or not we can find a way to get Deli Ali back in the squad Yeah it's a very good point that's something we mentioned across the last couple of weeks that obviously Ali is in and around the squad or the 20 match day panel there's the big question of where would he fit in in Tottenham's shall we say old style of lineup with the Sissoko also in the midfield you can't really just cram Ali in as well but as you say Mike if the shape is going to evolve to something that we've seen before, that might be the golden ticket. But, you know, who knows what will happen between Mourinho and Ali. It's the case of swings and roundabouts and whether he's in favour and all these chats we've heard about, but whether they actually have any real sort of meaning. It, as to... it, it, it seems to me like Deli Ali is the sort of, obviously I don't know the kid personally, but he seems to me like the sort of player who needs that arrogance and needs that chip on his shoulder. So him, sort of, I, can, I can just see him swaggering his way back into the dressing room with that little bit of like, you you lot need me now. I've been I've been brought back into this starting eleven or the matchday squad to to offer something and and almost almost take that responsibility on his shoulders and, and go and go and prove to the world that he hasn't 
fallen off the wagon. I think he needs that. I think that's where he got complacent because he sort of reached his peak and then we didn't crack on and, and sort of elevate to anything else. And then we saw a dip in his form. When he when he arrived from MK Dons, he had a big reputation of, of, of doing really, really well and sort of bursting onto the scene. And then he, he rode, rode them coattails quite a while. And I think this this could be a perfect opportunity for him to sort of swan back in with with sort of that bit between his teeth and, and, a, and a point to prove. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, it's all about finding that fire for what you would consider the second phase of your career. You know, it's all very well having that astronomic rise when you're young, but then you will plateau at a very high level, mind, but then it's how you kick on. This could be that opportunity. Although what I would say, Cole, have you noticed in general that Dele Alli just looks really old? I know he's getting old as a person, as we all do, <laughs> but he looks like he's aged dramatically over the last sort of, few months. Have you seen oh, that? I'm not I'm not surprised given the year he's had um, sure. under Jose right now. <laughs> you know, it's probably probably has aged him, even though he hasn't played much football. Um, I guess the worry with with Deli Ali, isn't it, is you know, if we're being honest, you know, before the falling out, I think one of the worries was his form had seemed to fall, you know, drop off a cliff. You know, he had a good little spell when Jose first come in, and then he kind of regressed again. And you were seeing the so-called Deli's brother. Um, I guess we now have to see if they've patched it up. And, and, you know, I did find it quite funny that given the way he's been treated by Jose leading up to this point in the season, that the minute Jose realised he suddenly has to deal with him and, and now you've got Kane who could be injured, he starts mentioning Deli Ali's name in important players that are missing out of the squad. And you kind of sit there and think, oh, you know, that that's... That that's some stretch, you know, to now for you to start trying to include him as one of your real key key players that's out injured. And I guess, yeah, it, it will all depend on Delhi's attitude, won't it? Because he could come back in, but if things don't go right in the first game or so, and then he gets hauled off suddenly, you know, one of those famous Jose substitutes, literally, you know, the forty seventh minute just after after you know, second half has kicked off, he gets pulled off. You could see Delhi's mind situation go, well, you know, not be funny, screw you now. You know, if you think you're suddenly going to start picking me and hope that I'll do a job for you now, then that's gone. Um, if he comes back with a point to prove and can kind of find that form, hit the ground running, start scoring some goals, <clears throat> then I think we are looking and thinking, well, we do at least have a possible number 10 there should suddenly, you know, Kane get injured or we want to start playing a different way and put him as the more attacking player and drop Ndombele back in. So it's going to be really key, isn't it, to see how this how this goes and how he's, you know, how that so-called clear the air conversation has gone and how the player feels about it in general. And we just have to hope that, you know, he doesn't come back with a chip on his shoulder thinking, well, no, sorry, you know, now you need me. I'm not going to suddenly get you out of the shite as such. Um, I think we can only wait and see. You know, I, I put it this way. I'd much prefer to have Deli Ali in the squad and be more reliant on him than, say, Lucas Moore in that position. Because, yes, there was a half-decent performance from Moore at the weekend. But I think, as we've seen in the past, that, that sort of fixture is about his level. You know, a bottom-of-the-table team at home. Um and he can put a good performance in, even though I would say the last 20 minutes, I'm surprised he wasn't hauled off because in the last 20 minutes of the game, I think everything he did lost possession. Um, so I definitely don't want to be reliant on Lucas Moura um, to try and fill that cane, that cane or 10 role for the rest of the season. Well, exactly. I mean, you only have to look at where has he got that uh, yeah, hatchery against Huddersfield, isn't he? And it's like, oh, you know, amazing. He's We've got a, another attacker in our ranks. You think, yeah, but it's bottom of the table Huddersfield. So as you say, yeah, that's, right. that's the kind of yeah. level. But if we go to Deli Alley's best mate at the club, Eric Dyer, we need to focus on Thursday, Mike, because obviously he's in the biggest flashpoint of the game. That's the tackle or badly missed placing the ball on Timo Werner. I mean, why does he need to go to ground when there's no real imminent danger, even though it's in the box? I think it must have just been a, a brain fart. Yes. A, a, a moment of panic. And there was, like you say, there was no rhyme or reason to it. Um, he, he's gone to the ground. And I think rather than rather than getting up and and, and trying to clear the ball or even, even let Werner take... I, I'd fancy myself to Werner to put that into Rosette from there anyway on his recent form. So I don't, I don't think he really needed to make the make the tackle. Werner would have probably probably missed it anyway. But yeah, it's just down to a brain fart, really, lack of concentration. So, Carl Dyer was dropped on Sunday. 
Do you think that's a consequence of his blunder against Chelsea? And I guess if you're also apportioning blame to him for the Liverpool's opening goal the week before, that charge sheet is just starting to get a little too long in terms of the misdemeanours that he's made as of late. Yeah, you know, you can look at it like that, can't you? But then at the same time, you know, and it, and it, it is the problem that's going to hold us back at the moment, isn't it? All those defenders at the moment are capable of those, sw- you know, switching off. You know, if you look at that Liverpool goal, as much as Eric Dyer does have to take some blame as well, you know, you could proportion blame to two other players in that. You know, you've got Aurier just watching Mane make a run and not realising, maybe I should go with that bloke because he could cause a danger. You've got Lloris in goal, who should be coming and just dropping on that ball and taking charge of that situation. And obviously Dyer. Again, you know, a commanding centre-half just says, well, I don't even care if the keeper's coming. I feel I need to get rid of this and, and I'm getting rid of it. Um, that, I think the worry is, if you say you're going to take Dyer out because of that, well, you could take every single one of those back four out for a couple of games. You know, I did have to laugh when the fact that he gets replaced by Davinson Sanchez because you're sitting there thinking, well, there's a solid centre-half who's not capable of mistakes coming in. So it didn't fill you with much more confidence. Um, I guess Jose maybe thought I'm going to take you out of the firing line and just give you a week off. Um, maybe he felt he could do that in that game against West Brom as well because, you know, we, sh- we should be beating them at home, even with some changes. And he might just think, I'll get you fresh again for the Everton Cup game and some of the fixtures we got coming up. Because I think Jose really likes him. You know, we've seen from the documentary, he thinks he's a brilliant player. Um the question marks for me there around whether he's going to be a centre half that can lead a team. You know, I think we've seen this season that I don't think he is. If you look at that Chelsea mistake, the bit that was so frustrating with that, he'd done really well to hold Werner up. And you kind of thought, right, you've done your job there. You've now got a couple of other defenders around you that you should now be sitting there saying, well, listen, boys, I've done my bit. I've held him up. I've brought us some time. You now deal with it. Any defender that's on the floor and thinks it's a good idea to start kicking your legs out at a player that's standing up, it's just crazy. And I think that's a problem with a lot of our defenders at the moment. You kind of questioning the football brain that they've got between their ears because some of them are just making mistakes that you kind of go, well, that's Sunday league level, really. So, Mike, in terms of left-back, that's been a bone of contention as of late as well due to no Sergio Regulon. So, off the top of my head... Could that be a role for Gareth Bale? In theory, it would offer an element of dynamism, but at the same time, are we now talking about square pegs trying to be forced into round holes? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to see him in play there in a month for Sundays. No, this is a geezer who, who openly told who openly told Jose that he wouldn't want to. He doesn't want to play as a centre forward. He wants to play off the right hand side. That's where he's most comfortable. So I can't imagine it going down well. Him finding himself at left back or left wing back, even, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I certainly can't see that happening, though. Okay, that's fair enough. Staying on the topic of our Spanish left back, Carl, because there are reports that Real Madrid are going to look to activate that buyback clause to the point where they're already clearing the decks in terms of left backs to uh, get a gap ready for old Sergio. Do you think that's going to happen? I mean, there's every possibility, isn't there? Given given the start he's had for us and the way he's played, and, and he's obviously previous performances for Seville, I, I think you have to sit there and think. I think they know they've got a player, hence hence why they've only loaned him out because the, you know they probably wanted him a bit like us with Skip. They wanted him to get some more development. They've sent him to pro, you know what's viewed as one of the best leagues in the world and a club that's going to be fighting on multiple fronts. Um, so you certainly put it this way: if the transfer was to happen in the summer, you certainly wouldn't, you know, you certainly wouldn't be overly shocked by it. And it is a situation now that, given what that scenario is, I'm, I, you know, if I'm in charge of, the, you know, transfers, I'm looking at replacements already because I am sitting there thinking, well, listen, if we don't finish top four possibly, and we're not an attractive um, proposition for the guy then we're, we're going to be short of a left-back because, you know, Davies can do a job filling in in certain places. But, you know, again, he doesn't offer you what, we're, what we've been missing these last few weeks. Um, so, yeah, it is a worrying situation because you can see them wanting to use him because he is a class player. And as we've seen, we've really missed him. Um, I just can't believe he was allowed to get on that... Um, bodyboard or something and be dragged <laughs> behind that golf buggy. I mean, I actually cannot believe that that 
was actually allowed to happen because isn't it a coincidence that that incident happens and then all of a sudden the guys are injured well, exactly. um crazy i can't believe that but yes could we lose him in the summer it, you know if he if he comes back and carries on playing the way he is you could certainly see it i mean on the topic of that snowplow whatever you want to call it i mean he's never insured for that if you think a footballer is not allowed to ride a motorbike or anything like that the tottenham backroom staff must be like with the hands and the heads thinking this has definitely happened because otherwise there'd be a bit more of a prominent bit of news about the injury. It's all been a bit too hush hush, hasn't it's, it? So, it's gone dead, isn't it? They've yeah. wanted to brush it under the carpet. Definitely. And it's a sort of thing I could imagine that, you know, we haven't seen, but I can imagine in the background someone has gone, what has gone on here and who has, how has that managed to happen under someone's watch? Because that was ridiculous. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. We want to see players have some fun at the same time, like as you say, Dan. It's a bit like, have some fun that's not going to hurt you and put you out for a little while. Um, so, yeah, I can imagine someone might have got a little bit of a telling off for that. So that question regarding Sergio Reggion coming from Oli Stead, and he's also been kind enough to offer us another killer question, and it is this one, Mike. After years of courting Jose Mourinho, do you think Levy will have the balls to sack him in the summer, or will he back him in the summer? I think... Mourinho has spent big wherever he's gone um, and you, you sort of don't pay a man 15 million a year and then ask him just to make do with, with what you've got um, there's, there's still little little irks there that kind of we haven't we haven't named a, a, a naming right for the stadium yet so that could be you know that could be one summer's transfer fund sorted you know there's just some, something just Maybe, maybe it's because I'm, I'm a pessimist, but there, maybe there's just something not right about signing a manager like Mourinho and then just sort of letting him, letting him make do with what we've got. I think, I think we need an overhaul, and I, I don't think Daniel Levy would have employed uh, Mourinho if he if he wasn't going to give him at least some money to spend. Um, so yeah, in answer to your question, I think I think he's going to back him. Carl, is it almost a question that you can't really answer until you know the league position? Because let's say. Tottenham finish sixth. That's a completely different debate than say Tottenham finish fourth. Yeah, and and you know, I, I do believe that that whole situation rides on how the rest of the season goes. You know, that's put it, that that that's player scenario out here. You get embarrassed in the League Cup final um, and really whimper away in that game. You know, they were talking four or five nil when you're not even in it. You then say you, you don't make it through in the Europa League. You don't, you know, you don't get past Everton this week in the FA Cup, and all of a sudden we're sitting in seventh and eighth, and the football is still the way it is. I think the fan, you know, the way it becomes very toxic all of a sudden and turns. I then think Daniel Levy's put in a position of going, well, hang on, listen, as much as I want you. We've blown out of everything here. The football's not great. The supporters are going mental right now and want you out because that's basically the fan base is very much divided. We are even at this moment seeing a lot of Joe say out fans. Um, and that's, you know, that's be realistic. If that Chelsea game was in front of a packed house, that end of that game, the booing and that that goes around at the end of that fixture and at half time, that sends a very positive message to a chairman. And Daniel Levy's not silly. He will know that, you know, as much as he might like Jose, if the fans start turning, it becomes really seriously toxic. He won't, you know, he, I think he, he's going to sit there and think, listen, as much as, yes, we wanted you, I, I was courting you for a long while. I, I can't let this go on because, you know, Enoch and not people, you know, there's, there's enough hatred towards Enoch as it is keeping potentially someone that the fans are then turning against just turns even more heat up on them as well. So Daniel Levy's not stupid, but if we win that League Cup final, go deep into Europa League, deep into the FA Cup, and we're still in the possibility of a top four and or even just finish outside of it, then I think there's enough there that they can say, well, listen, you know, another transfer, another couple of transfer windows, bring in some more players, who knows? Uh, so, yeah. I don't think we'll know till till the dust settles and what the season's been like. Right, let's move on to our next topic. And Cole, you've been fanning the flames on social media once more, haven't you? So, would you like to tell the world your latest plan and how it's drawn the ire of some Tottenham quarters? 
Yeah, I, I was very surprised, Dan, because you know I, you know, I, I put, started thinking about a little, a little thing I was going to do, a little possible, you know, money making. That if the season was to suddenly start dwindling away, I might at least get something for, from the club. Um, so. I put it out there that what I was going to do for the rest of the season was in certain games, and and we're talking teams like West Brom and Brighton, because as we've seen, Tottenham have a history of kind of slipping up in some of those fixtures. The way I was looking at it was I I was going to put £10 on the opposition to win the game. Um, And the hope is, my hope is, and, and some people seem to find this hard to really work out and they start questioning your loyalty and everything like that is that my ideal scenario here is I lose the 10 pound Spurs win the game I'm happy but my thinking is if we didn't win the game and lose like we did against Brighton the blow of the defeat and and the feelings that I'll have after that and being completely gutted at least are a little bit lessened by the fact that I may have 30 or 40 pound in my bank account that then allows me, you know, on a Saturday or Sunday night to get a takeaway in and kind of take those football Tottenham blues away slightly. But it did stir quite a lot of controversy with people suddenly questioning loyalty to their football club that you've done that. Um, But it was a good divide. There were a lot of other people that said, yeah, I can understand where you're coming from. I've done it. Um, But it really sparked some controversy for some fans. So, Mike, on that topic, obviously there's a Carabao Cup final in a couple of months. Would you take out the, shall we say, insurance policy? Let's say, I don't know, £100 for use of a better figure that you put on Man City to win the trophy, so obviously that eliminates any draw and straight to penalties, outright winners, knowing that if they win, you win a decent amount of money, but of course if they don't, Spurs win the League Cup. Would that then lessen the impact of that success if Tottenham did win, knowing that you'd sort of bet against them earlier in the day? Well, the way I look at it, what Carl's doing is he's, he's, he's paying, he's paying a tenner to watch, to watch Tottenham win. That's the way I look at it. If that makes sense, yeah. So you're paying, you're you're paying then a hundred pounds. You're losing a hundred pounds for Tottenham to win it, win win the Carabao Cup. Yeah, that's the way I look at it. So if you, you I would happily pay a uh, hundred pound right now if, to win to win. Yeah, a million percent. I, I do it quite regularly. If I, I more more often than not, I will back Arsenal to win. I'll have a tenner every weekend on Arsenal to win, and if they, if it wins. Oh, my bank account is even money or two to one I get 30, 40 quid back and if they fail to win emotionally I'm over the moon it, oh, it's yeah. just the reverse of what Carl does you know it's a it, it's a win-win you, you, Arsenal win and my, my Skybet account goes goes up and if they if I fail if they fail to win I'm happy days it's just it, I don't see a problem with it and I think I think people need to realise that you you're not affecting the game you're not having some sort of bad luck, curse, voodoo spell on Spurs by betting against them. I know you must be sort of jumped up teenagers on, on are only just started supporting the club that think that this is some sort of new thing to happen. People have been doing this for as long as bookies have been running. So I, I think there's absolutely no harm in it. And, you know, give, name, name your price. I think we could band together and pay £100,000 for Spurs to get back up. <laughs> Well, this is it, isn't it? I mean, I remember going through the mental gymnastics of backing against Tottenham in the Champions League final. I couldn't bring myself to do it in the end, but I I really did think about it for a long time. And I thought, basically, it boils down to what price do you think is worth your team having that ultimate success? Now, you know, like I say, I didn't bet on it in the end, but I was considering, you know, at least £100. And I just thought, you know, if they won, I would have think... If Liverpool won, I think it would have been 150 quid because it was 1.5 in terms of decimal odds for them to win the trophy. But, you know, if anyone does it, then fair play. Because like I say... I think the real thing that kind of, and as I say, I put the tweet out afterwards, you know, after I had one interaction with a with a fan on Twitter. The thing that kind of really I was amazed about is the fact that people seem to think it kind of dictates your loyalty towards the club. Oh, no, no, no. Like by doing that, all of a sudden, I'm not Tottenham. You know, I want the, I'm looking for the club to lose. And that mentality, you sit there and go, this playground mentality, you know, like, what are we, 10 or something here that, oh, I'm I'm a bigger supporter than you. I mean, and like I say, you know, to the, the yeah, if the guy is listening who, who I was having the tweet with, you know, again, you know, the questioning someone's loyalty is a bit like, listen, you know, it's 44 years of following this club through thick and thin. You know, I can't 
I couldn't probably tell you the money I've spent following the club, going places, season tickets, you know, when, and that's when you're stumping your money up front, knowing you could get relegated that season, but you've, you're brave enough to put your money where your mouth is at the start and say, well, listen, I'm in for the full ride, no matter what the season is. Um, and it's that mentality that I, oh, it doesn't make you loyal. You know, you sit there and just go, listen, come on, that's playground mentality. All I'm doing here is sitting there saying at the end of the day, as an adult, I want the team to win, but if they don't, then, hey, listen, if I've put some money in my bank account, it might just help me ease the, ease the pain of that defeat for one weekend. And at the same time, you know, why not if you've got a money opportunity, money-making opportunity, then you may as well take it. Well, it makes a good experiment, actually, because if you think, what's a decent top season over the last couple of years? Let's say, I don't know, if Tom Med, you win 26 matches, you draw six, you lose six. So that, that means over the course of a season, you're not winning 12 matches. Now, if you put a tenner on every game for the season, I wonder if you'd break even. And even if you didn't, if you didn't win 12 matches, there'd probably be some non-favourites along the way where you'd slip up, and then the sort of the tight games in the big six. So there might be scope to make a decent amount of money. So it might be something to revisit next season. Again, experiment for next season, Dan. Now I think we've we've found ourselves a little experiment for next season. I think. Right. Let's do it next season. Then we'll have that. Good work. Right. We need to crack on ourselves because. In terms of insurance policies, Jose went for his on Sunday. And Cole, is that a selection which comes out of desperation or a player which is actually fully fit? Yeah, I don't think any of us really know the answer, do they, Dan? There. I mean, I have to admit, when you saw Kane was in the starting lineup, you kind of sat there thinking, wow, you know. They're either the injury really wasn't as bad as we first feared and the guy's okay. Or you are sitting there saying, is this a manager that just thinks I need to get a win under my belt in this next game? Because if I don't, the tide could start turning and actually I'm prepared to risk the crown jewel and put him in for that one performance and that one result. Or is it the simple fact that, that you know the guy is fit? He didn't look to be holding up or seem to be, you know, we have seen him come back from injury before where you're thinking he definitely ain't ready yet. It didn't seem like that at the weekend, you know, and let's be honest, by his standards, Kane probably could have had four at the weekend himself. Um, and he'd probably be very disappointed not to at least have a hat trick from that game. So he didn't look to be hindered in his movement or anything. So maybe, you know, I I'm prepared to go on the fact that Kane was fit, he was ready, um, and it wasn't just a manager who suddenly was thinking, oh, I need to throw desperation times here and, and get this guy in no matter what. Because, Mike, usually when Kane returns from an injury, there's an element of getting up to speed, you know, two or three matches where he's not quite there and everyone has doubts about his long-term fitness, etc., etc. Thankfully, as Cole alluded to, that didn't seem to be the case. Although he took a bit of time in terms of the actual context of the game, after half-time, he finally broke down the baggies. Yeah, and you can just see in the, in, in the way he moves between the lines, it's just his class oozes through every time. Um, and, and yeah, I wasn't surprised to, to see him score the way he did. He, and like you say, he could have had three or four. So, yeah, lo long may it continue. Carl, those spurned efforts in the first half, do you just put that down to rustiness or is that kind of West Brom being West Brom under Sam Allardyce? No, one thing that I found was quite funny was in the commentary, they were really trying to bang on about how brilliantly defensive <laughs> West Brom had been in that game. And I'm sitting there thinking, are you sure? You know, on another day, we could be four up by half time. You know, Kane's missed a couple of sitters. Aurier has a header that produces a brilliant save from the goalkeeper. And you're kind of sitting there thinking, you know, Sky were trying to really make this out to be, oh, you know, West Brom, not Sky, sorry, they've, but they're trying to really make it out as though, oh, you know, West Brom have backs to the walls here. They've defended really well. And I'm thinking they really haven't. It was just an unfortunate day where Kane doesn't take those chances that he would virtually every week. I mean, if we're talking a betting, I'd have lost my house at the weekend because those two chances, you'd have said, well, there, you know, Kane's going to bury those easily. Um, so, yeah, I just think it was a case of, you know, will Rudo's misses and West Brom can think themselves very fortunate. Mike, in terms of the change of attacking shape, as we've alluded to, there was a number 10 role, which was filled by Lucas Moura. And we kind of sort of referenced his upturning performance. Jose Mourinho was quick to offer the plaudits after the match. Is that something that you agree with? It, it seems like uh, Lucas Moura's contract must be up for renewal soon because he's had his, uh, 
his annual performance where he's, he's he hasn't looked anything below a sort of six 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 out of ten really so yeah I mean you can't you can't slander him for his performance on the weekend he he was busy and it always makes me think like if I was a professional footballer and you know the made the one in a hundred million chance of becoming a pro I wouldn't want to be described as somebody who is busy somebody who oh yeah he puts himself about and he tries hard you know I, and, and I feel that's what we get with Lucas Moura he's just he just puts people under pressure and he forces mistakes out of people and he wins the ball high. And as soon as he's won it, he has to give it to somebody. Otherwise, he just goes on one of these meandering runs where the best thing that can happen is somebody wipes him out and we get a free kick or a penalty. Because you can bet your bottom dollar, unless he's in Amsterdam, he's never going to go and beat a man and, and, and slot it into the bottom corner. He won't do it for the, for the rest of his career, I don't think. So the best that can happen is he, he presses, he tries hard, he wins it high. And he, he wins a foul, um, but yeah, on the weekend I was really impressed with him and and Lamella. They both put in their um, their annual performances. So yeah, I can't, I can't I've got a bad word to say against their performances at the weekend. Well, I don't think you could, and you've sort of taken the thunder out of my mouth for the next point for Carl, which is Eric Lamella's performance has probably kept him at the club for another three years now, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean it's eight years coming, <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, unfortunately, you know. You can't knock their performances at the weekend. No, no. The trouble we all have is that, you know, it, it's the standard of opposition it's being done against. And unfortunately, that's the problem, isn't it? You know, those guys, you know, against West Brom, and that's no disrespect to West Brom because they've picked up some decent results lately. But they're not down the bottom of the league where they are because they're a decent side. You know, the, the season tells you everything about them. Um and yeah, those you know those those two players can, can do it again in those games. Sometimes, as you mentioned earlier, Dan, you know, more as hat trick against Huddersfield. Um, unfortunately, that's the level I think we're looking at with those guys. You know, yes, they can do it in that game, but can they turn up and do it against Chelsea in the week? Could they go to Anfield and put that sort of performance in Anfield? And not that when something's on the line, you know, this is the problem, isn't it? We've got players that you kind of think when nothing's on the line um, and we're, we're against a weaker opposition, yeah, they can have the odd game that makes you go, well, yeah, Mora was brilliant today for the first 70 minutes. But you know and we know when they need to step up or you need them to step up and, and if the quality levels go up, they just don't have that consistency and that quality to do it in those situations. And unfortunately, while they're the players that we look to bring in in certain times to try and change games, it just doesn't give us what we need. Um, but if we, you know, yeah, if we if we went down to the championship, Lamella would probably own it, and Lucas Moore would probably be top scorer. God, picture the thought. Let's stay with South American players, Mike. Davison Sanchez. He came in for Eric Dyer at the weekend. Again, is it the kind of performance where you're only up against that kind of opposition where you look all right, but if we're honest, he's kind of like a one in five in terms of decent performances. So is it kind of faint praise for what he did yesterday? Um, I don't know. The geezer he was up against all game was an absolute lump. Absolute fridge freezer of a fella. Like, I wouldn't have wanted to play against him for 90 minutes. So fair play to Davinson Sanchez. I think he had a great game against a very difficult Almost like old school centre forward, like Chris Wood, Ashley Barnes. They're just gonna, they're just they're rough and ready, and they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna sort of pry on winning, winning flicks, and you know, sort of beating you in the air, and they're not gonna beat you on the ground. So they're gonna, it's just yeah, that sort of big nasty centre forward is is hard to play against. So I'm fair play to. I think David Sanchez had a great game. Cole, I guess really that is a decent showing. But at the same time, it doesn't really sort of absolve us from 10 days of draw. So, yes, it's good, but we're working with a very low base in terms of where we're improving from. So that's what we've got to be mindful of, haven't we? Yeah, I think, like as we say, you know, you can only beat what's in front of you. And at the end of the day, this weekend, we beat a side we should have beaten. And we did it reasonably well, you know. And at the end of the day, it, 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 the scoreline could have been a lot more, you know. It, it could have been six or so, that, you know. That and, and that's where you sit there and go, well, yeah. If we'd got four or five, we'd all have been sitting here going, well, yes, perfect. You know, we did what we had to against that calibre of opposition. I guess the problem is, like, as we say, and as you say, Dan, the, the kind of 10 days that came before that are where you really start to worry and think, well, actually, you know, 
that performance at the weekend is no barometer as to where we possibly really are as a side because, yes, you beat West Brom at home, but can we go toe-to-toe with Chelsea? You know, if Kane's out, can we even go toe-to-toe with teams like Brighton who are down the bottom of the table? Um, and if you can't go toe-to-toe with them, then you've got no hope of going toe-to-toe with the sides at the top of the table. Um, so... It was a much more pleasing performance. We were on the front foot a lot more and we were looking a lot more dangerous, which is great. Big tick. The question mark now needs to be seen whether we can kind of continue that level of performance. Can we be that attacking when we play some of the better sides? You know, and I think the next the next couple of performances are where, again, we'll really see where we are. Mike, it was a special afternoon for Dane Scarlett. Now, admittedly, it was only a cameo. But the Spurs coaching staff think he has a ceiling only second to Harry Kane in terms of current attackers at the club. Now, he's 16, so we can't get too caught up in the hype. But is it really a case of just wait and see for how special he could be? Yeah, and again, you don't want to, um, like you say, sort of fill his head with dreams. But Mourinho came out with quite an interesting quote after the, after the game on Sunday. He said, um, I wanted to be... Well, you say I wanted to be the manager who gave this man his Premier League debut because one day he's going to be somebody, and you know I think I think that must obviously fill Dane with with lots of confidence. And yeah, I'm I'm taking every sort of game step by step with him and these these sort of hopes and aspirations of him being a um, even even a Premier League starter for us with a pinch of salt because we've seen it happen down the years with strikers and players that have come through our ranks who have just sort of phased out to nothingness. So I think that the way I look at it, the less I think about it, the less I can worry about it. But he looks a he looks a brilliant finisher at the standard he's playing at now. What's that sort of under twenty threes, under eighteens, or Premier League two as they call it now? And I've, I've sort of seen some of the goals and performances he's put in in the um, the Europa League, under twenty three league, or whatever whatever the name for that competition is at the moment. So yeah, kudos to the kid. He, he's he looks a fantastic finisher, but I don't, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves at the moment. Okay, then, Mike, I'll stay with you because how does that factor into Troy Parrott's progress at the club? Now, he's gone from a championship loan to a League One loan. Is that a truer level of his talent at the moment? And do you think that us as a collective got caught up in the hype of him last season? Um, Yeah, I think there's a little bit of us getting caught up in the hype, but it's also just the excitement of having a second striker at the club. Bearing in mind, when we we went through this massive hype over Troy Parrott, we... We didn't have uh, Vinny. We didn't have Vinicius. So you know, it was, it's, it's, it was exciting at the time. And I mean, Millwall probably wasn't a very good, very good place to send send poor Troy on loan. Um, you know, I, I think you could have put Messi in that squad, and he and he would have still looked dog shit. Some of the football I've seen Millwall play um, over the last couple of months is it's atrocious. So I think the league one stepping down to League One. Hopefully he bags a couple of goals and boosts his confidence. And um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I watch Ipswich play week in, week out. But um, the standard of football, actual football that they play, is going to is going to probably suit Troy a lot more than um, him chasing shadows and sort of long balls and playing off the left and playing off the right. And and yeah, it was atrocious that sort of stint at Millwall. Um, I hope he just puts it out of his mind and he can get his head down and and, and bag for for Ipswich. Well, Cole, going back to Dane Scarlett very quickly, I know you were bemoaning the fact he'd come on with a minute to go. Are you not a fan of such cameos, which usually result in just a touch of the ball before the whistle? Yeah, I mean, and as I say, my kind of moan was nothing to do with the, with the young lad himself. You know, brilliant experience for him, I'm no doubt. My gripe and subs like that is just in football in general. You know, it's only a tactic ever that the winning team do just to try and see the clock down. I would ban it, you know, I'd, I'd have no more subs from the 85th minute. Or for me, it's, you know, you subs. the game don't stop for substitutes. I don't, you know... I just question, you know, the guy walks onto the pitch and then walks off the pitch. You know, you for me, you can't even class it as a performance. Um, it shouldn't go down as a stat for, you know, what it was maybe five seconds, 10 seconds. You know, for him, I'm sure it's great. I bet he got some performance money and a win bonus out of it. So if I'm Dame Scarlett, I'm sitting there with a minute to go going, come on, Jose, stick me on, son. You know, there's money to be had here. Um, but yeah, my main gripe is just with teams being allowed to do that in general in football. Okay, then final question to the both of you. Harry Kane, he's moved up the club's goal-scoring charts. The big question is, does he stay around long enough 
to become Tottenham's all-time top scorer. Carl, I'll start with you. Very much dependent, again, Dan, like the Jose situation, isn't it? Come the end of this season, I think, um, you know, realistically, we're looking at he probably needs another two to see two to three seasons to break that record. Um, is he going to stay around for another two to three seasons? You can only see that happening if trophies start coming and the club looks like it's progressing. You know, if that nightmare scenario I run through earlier in the show starts happening where we get embarrassed in finals, don't make later stages of competitions, finish outside the top four, given the season he's had this year, I can certainly see him being tempted by some top teams in the summer. And then I guess it's just a question of where Harry's mind is. Does he want to stay and become a club legend and see that through? Or has he got aspirations to win things? If it's to win things, then you could be looking at his last stint in a Spurs shirt. If we start winning stuff, then he maybe he stays around to finish and see that record and become the club's all-time leading scorer. So, Mike, anything to add to that? Have you got a counterpoint? It, it just, it just again, it comes down to what sort of striker Harry Kane wants to be remembered as. Is he happy at Spurs? Yes. Is he settled? Yes. Is he seen as a sort of unofficial club captain? Yes, you know, I, 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 some from from the documentary, he seems like a a leader from example as opposed to um, a, a vocal sort of authoritative leader. But you know, would you rather go down as an as the club's all time league um, all time goal scorer, or potentially be the Premier League all time goal scorer? Do I see? Do I see Harry Kane scoring another 104 Premier League goals for Tottenham? How many seasons would that take him on? Or that he's on the, the trajectory he's on now? Four or five? Four or five, yeah. Whereas, yeah. Whereas at Man City, Man City are screaming out for a, for a world class striker because Aguero's sort of dare I say it on the on his last legs and sort of Gabriel Jesus seems like he's still nailed to the cross. Hey. So w- would he be? <laughs> I'm glad that one. <laughs> would uh, you know? Would you would you see Harry Kane getting? <laughs> would you on. see Harry Kane scoring 100? Would you see Harry Kane scoring 105 Premier League goals in the Man City team in the next three or four years? You know, I'd I'd I'd, I'd say yes. So, and you know, if he does, if he let's just say he does get that move to Man City, he's almost guaranteed to win win the Premier League, isn't he? That Man City team that they've got right now with with Harry Kane sort of the spearhead, um, you know, it's just whether or not a big comes in that's, that's that's big enough to to turn his head. I think if his if his head gets turned, then Levy's going to have to sort of pull some serious stops out to to sort of keep him as a Spurs man. But it all depends on on what sort of man Harry Kane wants to be, and if we can go and go and sort of sign the players that that Harry Kane wants to be around and play around. Do you remember when Wayne Rooney uh, was was getting sort of teased away from, from, from Man United and Alex Ferguson promised him he's going to build a squad around him and he's going to sign some big name stars and we're going to, we're going to carry on winning things. I think, I think that's, that was the, that could be the pull of, of Jose Mourinho that Levy does need to go into the transfer market and back him and, and get him some superstars to play alongside him. Because right now I'd probably say we've got, one world-class player and two very, very, very high, high-level elite players in, in Don Bele and Son. So add one or two more names in, in that hat and I think Harry Kane could stay. But if we don't, if we fail to get top four and we don't win anything this season, I think we will see the, we'll see the, uh, the rumours come out in the summer and whether or not there's anything actually there that can tempt, can tempt Harry away from us. I think you're right and absolutely every count you said there, Mike, is a fascinating and quite scary debate when you think about it and it's one we haven't got time for and I'm sure we'll revisit it. Sorry sorry to interrupt you there, Dan. It's just one of those things, it's just one of those scenarios that you wish you could sort of be the fly on the wall and in 10 years' time when he's retired as the the all-time greatest this and that, whatever you want to call it, you would love to just have a sit down and listen to some sort of like Michael Parkinson documentary where he, he tells you the ins and outs of... Yeah, no, in this season when I banged this amount of goals for Tottenham, Man City were on the table or Madrid were on the table. But I wanted, you don't, you don't hear players come out and say it at the time because it would be a PR nightmare. But it would be really interesting when he retires just to see if there ever was any concrete interest from other teams and if he ever did get tempted and, and why he stayed or the opposite, why he left. It's just a fascinating scenario that hopefully unfolds on the positive for Spurs. Yeah, I think... 
really the, the trajectory of Kane is interlinked with the tra- trajectory of the club. And I think, like you say, if the success isn't matched to his standards or his ideals, then that difficult conversation might come round. I hope it doesn't come to that. Personally, I think he will stay and become the club's top goal scorer because I just think that you know he is symbiotic with the club, really. And I think, yes, there are all those things that we're pulling at him in different directions for the, the trophies and the moves abroad that could happen. But I just feel that there's something special here. And I just feel that he might get a move when he's sort of 31, 32. And I think he'd go with everyone's blessing. But I think, personally, he stays and becomes the greatest goal scorer we ever see. And on that note, we've hit pretty much full time. So I just need to do the admin, which is as simple as thanking my two pod squad members this evening. First up, Mike, thanks for your time this evening. I hope you enjoyed that one. Yeah, brilliant. Once again, Dan, thanks for having me on. Not a problem, mate. We'll get you back on before the end of the season. And Cole, thanks for running the channels this evening and wearing the captain's armband. As always, I hope you'll be joining me next Monday. Yeah, really enjoyed that, Dan, uh, and looking forward to, ne- to next Monday, mate. Fantastic. Right, that just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy, and as always, come on, you Spurs. For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts. Download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.